Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to week five of Revolution Recap as the Revolution are coming off a 2 0 victory over the Houston Dynamo on the road. The, the story of the weekend was largely Christian Panillo, blown away only by the incredible story in MLS of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the, the Galaxy's 4-3 win over LAFC after being down 3-0, in which Zlatan scored two goals. If not for that, though, Christian Panillo would have been the story of the league this weekend. Uh, what an incredible game from him uh, as the Revolution got their first road win of 2018. Uh, it took them all of last season to the final game to get their first road win. So a, a big, big improvement for the Revs to get their first w- road win in their second attempt this year. Pania opened, opened up the game assisting Teal Bunbury on the game's first goal. Uh, then he got DeMarcus Beasley ejected with a, with a great run in the 35th minute that left the Revolution up a man. And then he capped off his performance with a 71st minute goal uh, f- with some phenomenal play when he cut back around a defender to get off a fantastic shot in kind of tight space on the left side of the box. Uh, just a fantastic performance from Christian Pania all around. Uh, I'm joined today on Revolution Recap by Brian O'Connell and Greg Johnstone. We're going to dissect this game for you. Uh, the main storyline, of course, had to be Christian Pania and this fantastic performance. He was on the MLS Team of the Week last week, um, and I think he's surely going to be on it again this week. We, we talked about the, the first few episodes, the flashes of brilliance he'd shown, but this game was really his first uh, complete performance for, for 90 minutes in which uh, in addition to those, to that goal and the assist and the red card he drew, he set up other plays and defensively he made some big plays. That that first goal he was involved uh, on the turnover there to to set that up and uh, you can't say enough good things about Christian Pania and and for me I, I have trouble coming up with a, another Revs player in the the team's history that's had quite the same skill set and the you know the ability to take guys on one on one. Uh, obviously, a guy like Diego Fagundes comes to mind in the current team as someone that can can do that to some extent. But Pania just seems another level in his ability to come off the dribble and take guys on one on one and set up chances and, and, and score goals and create something out of nothing. And that's something this team has has really lacked uh, over the last few years. Uh, Brian, what what were your thoughts on Pania's performance in this one? Yeah, I think uh, to your point about you know what, what kind of player he compares to. I, you know, I asked the question during the game on Twitter was you know he, Luis uh, not like I said um, Pania. Who does Pena remind you of as far as a former Rev goes? And I got some really interesting answers. And, you know, some people were like, you know, signing Niasi a little bit with the speed um, and, you know, his elusiveness. Uh, I got Steve Rawson with his vision. Um, but I think somebody, it's it's hard to categorize another play in Rev's history that kind of like looked like him. But somebody made a great point. I forget who it was, but somebody made a great point that he he has a lot of the same trademarks as a guy like Fabian Castillo. Just a guy who's unafraid to run at defenders, has the technical skill, has the vision, um, and certainly has the, uh, the 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 shooting belly, the the finishing to uh, you know to hit it from distance if need be. So, um, you know, he's it, it's so hard for me personally to think of another player that he kind of compares to um, in a Revolution uniform. But he certainly looks a lot like um, a player with the uh, playmaking abilities as a uh, as a fat Fabian Castillo. Yeah, and it seemed like as that game went on, um, I mean, I, I certainly can't compare him to anyone that the Revs have had in recent history, but uh, I would say as the game went on, uh, you just felt every time Pena had the ball, the Revs could do something or a scoring chance was coming. Um, and I, I don't think I've felt that way about a player in a really, really long time. Maybe Lee Wynn when he had his near MVP season. But um, yeah, Pena really took over that game yesterday. Uh, I think without his performance yesterday, 
the revs might not even take away one point, let alone three. So, uh, I mean, he, he was a clear game changer yesterday and, uh, a really great first MLS goal. I mean, he completely destroyed Machado on that play. Uh, that, that goal, that, that goal should be on an and one mixtape. Uh, I mean, he, he broke his ankles and, and just danced completely around him. So, uh, no, hopefully we see a lot more of that Pania, uh, the rest of the season. Yeah, I think when we when we saw this guy in preseason, we were hoping that this would be the player that that he would be because he's the type of guy that you know you show up to the stadium to, to watch play because he's just that kind of fantastic performer that, to put on a show the way he does. And you know, like we were saying, this team has has lacked guys like that. And, and yes, Lee Wynn at times could could make those creative, spectacular plays where he could do something on his own. But Pania, to me, again, just looks like he's at another level with the pace, the dribbling ability, you know, the finishing ability. He's he's the type of guy that. Uh, you, you have you have lacked on this Revolution team over the years, and I'm not sure he would have fit into a guy like Jay Heaps' system uh, in the past, and that might be something to do with it. But the, the way he's fit in the Friedel system right now, and the way he combines with a guy like Diego Fagundes, and the, the way this midfield runs with with him in it, uh, it's just very exciting to see, and it makes this Revolution team a, a lot more exciting this year than I think a lot of people thought they would be. So I'm I'm just excited to continue to watch him play. Uh, a long way to go, but the early signs from him have just been been fantastic, and, and what a great signing he's been uh, for this team to date. Uh, but you know, there's a lot more to dissect from this game, and so I'll jump to Brian and start with you on your takeaway from this one. Yeah, aside from Pena, I mean, to me, another player who certainly showed well in yesterday's game was uh, was was Luis Caicedo. I mean, I think he I think he fit into that midfield almost seamlessly. Uh, he had a, he had a really really good game. Uh, completed 85.7% of his passes and um, just seemed to fit really well, really combined well with uh, with uh, Fagundes and, and, and Pania. And I just thought that, you know, a guy who can do that basically right off the bat with with little to zero hiccups um, just kind of speaks to his speaks to his ability. And, um, you know, you kind of saw him, his role. It was interesting because I felt like his role allowed uh, Scott Caldwell to get more into the attacking, get more into the attacking mix. And I think that dynamic is kind of made them, you know, made them a little more dangerous. If anything, I mean, one thing that I thought that was going to happen with Row out of the eleven was like, okay, well, what's what, what's Scott Caldwell's role going to be? And I think, um, I think, you know, Caicedo kind of like answered that. I mean, Caicedo was kind of like your number eight. Um, wasn't afraid to track back. Um, wasn't spectacular on defense, but you know, you're really getting more out of him offensively, at least from my opinion, um, based on the way he played yesterday. And I think uh, his his inclusion in the eleven and the way that he was able to kind of combine with um, with the with the guys in the front four uh, really spoke to his uh, really spoke to his you know his soccer acumen his IQ and his ability to kind of get into a system basically right off the bat and really look like he's he's been here the entire time. On, on the flip side, when you talk about a guy like Casado uh, and and Kellen Rowe, uh, we saw Kellen Rowe come on in the sixty seventh minute in, in kind of a different role than what we've seen this season with him coming on for for Scotty Caldwell. Uh, does Casado make you know an opportunity for Rowe to, to play in more of his natural position if the Revs play a formation like they did against against Houston rather than what we've seen in, in some of the other games this year? Does does his ability to to play that role open up things potentially for for a Rowe to be in a more comfortable spot? I mean, I don't know if Rowe gets his starting spot back. Um, you know, based upon the uh, post game comments from from uh, from Friedel, it seemed like you know there there was an uh, there was kind of he alluded to the idea of. Uh, the likes of Scott Caldwell, Casado, um, Pania, and Fagunis all getting on the same page together, and that seems to kind of be kind of, it, that. From my, from what I take away from that is that that seems to be his preferred midfield in that area going forward. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case every week, 
Uh, but it seems like he's really looking to see what more he can get out of those out of those four guys. And so I don't know if Rowe ever. I think I think Heisado's I think Heisado's performance makes it harder for Rowe to get that starting to get a starting role back. Uh, maybe he is kind of another super sub. Um, in the sense of you know what we're seeing from Juan Juan Agudelo, um, but it seems like it's gonna it, it seems like Rose gonna have a much tougher time getting his uh, get, getting his starting spot back. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. I think if there is a person for Rowe to leapfrog on the depth chart based on the lineup yesterday, it would be Caldwell. And I don't think Caldwell has done anything to lose his spot. I think the Revs uh, really are gonna want to. Uh, take over the ball at midfield and do quick counterattacks. And I don't know if Rowe has the defensive abilities to, um, to, to help lead that charge and win balls the way that Scott Caldwell does. So um, yeah, I think it's an uphill battle for Rowe. I think Rowe might be uh, starting in offensive formations or in, in games, home games where um, they want a more offensive lineup, or he's going to come off the bench as a fresh set of legs and give them an offensive spark at the end of the game. Uh, it's kind of crazy to say, but I, I don't think he's going to be in the starting lineup. I agree with Brian. And I guess I, I just want to jump in. I guess I want to ask you guys this, just based upon the way that they played last night. Um, granted, you know they, you know, granted they had the benefit of playing eleven v ten for much of the match. But I, I want to ask you guys if, you know, what you think, what we saw from the from the offense last night. They played more of a counterattacking style do you think we see more of that or, or do you think we continue to see uh you know Friedel try and use more of the more of the high press even even at home I, I think this was a pretty unique uh situation going into a place like like Houston where um you know the, the revolution is it's not an easy place to play despite Houston not being necessarily the best team in the league uh and that's why we saw more of a defensive counterattacking lineup and it was kind of interesting to see how this one played out when that when that red card came because then at that point you kind of want to be the the team on the offensive, um, which I think was, was also very interesting when we saw that sub late to, to bring Rowan in the 67th minute and really push things rather than a defensive sub. Um, so I, I'm not really sure how this translates when they go back home. It, the formation worked out really well, but you know, like, like was said early on, uh, without that red card, I, I'm not sure we see the same result in this one. Um, so it, it, it's hard for me to take too much away from this formation change. And I think when we get to Greg and his point, we'll, we'll talk more about some of the issues that we saw last night. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a good question. I'm just, I think we will probably see more of that high press, particularly when the Revolution are playing, uh, you know, better teams like a New York City FC. Uh, now, the real question comes next weekend, and we can talk about that game more towards the end of the show. But, you know, next weekend they're going up against a Montreal Impact team, in which I would say the Revolution going to that game is the favorites. So I, I would expect the Revolution to play a, a more offensive-minded lineup than what we saw in Houston. Yeah, no, I agree. And one of the things, too, I'm learning is maybe just not try to predict what Friedel does going into these games. Uh, he seems to be rotating players in and out and seeing kind of what sticks and uh, I mean, it, it might be an experimental thing the first couple months and seeing what works and then going from there. Um, so, But it, it certainly worked. I could imagine seeing a formation and style that we saw last night on the road in games where they're uh, the underdogs. Um, and, and like you said, Sean, uh, maybe expect something like the high press at home against a team like Montreal. So, yeah, th that's kind of how I interpret it. But at this point, I'm not going to try to predict what Brad Friedel does. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There's been so many uh, very unexpected lineup changes that we've seen throughout this season and unexpected moves. Um, and I think that will, will lead into a bit into to Greg's point, or at least where, where I want to add on it once you uh, talk about your takeaway. So, Greg, we'll, we'll, we'll move to you and your takeaway from this game. Uh, yeah, my takeaway is just that the defense still has some work to do. 
Um, it's kind of the same old story with the Revs, even though they didn't concede yesterday. There are a couple of uh, fast breaks that they gave up uh, late in the game. Uh, there was a straight-on breakaway that uh, Matt Turner turned away. It wasn't the best shot. It was a little bit down to his right that he, he made the stop on. But um, even with 10 men, it seemed like the Dynamo weren't totally out of that game yesterday. And when they had 11 men on the field, uh, the Dynamo were in complete control. They had something like six corners in the first 10 minutes. So uh, I'm not sure if it is the, the back line still getting used to each other or what, uh, but it seems to me that uh, I'm not sure if this is the correct combination. Uh, I don't know if Delamea is going to be coming back to the lineup soon. Uh, certainly there were some positives out of the back line. They didn't do anything egregiously poor, um, not like Somi getting burned in Philadelphia or anything like that, but uh, Dielno was caught out of, uh, out of position a couple times. Um, overall, it, it was a little sloppy in the back, and they weren't punished for it, but uh, I, I still am not very confident with this defensive line. Now, you, you raise a great point as far as uh, De La Mea, and again, we saw GL Anababa get the start over him. Um, you know, not that there's anything I can point to in particular about Anababa that I thought he's done you know, particularly horribly wrong. Uh, but, you know, one thing I want to point out is his, his passing percentage, for example, has been 66%, which for a center back, and yes, you're clearing the ball sometimes, is, is, is pretty poor um, and something that you'd hope to see a lot better than, uh, you know, certainly in that position, you, turnovers can be deadly. Um, so, and, and yes, Annie Baba's been, you know, an average MLS center back throughout his career, I would say, which is, you know, the reason he's bounced around so much is he's, he's never been phenomenal. Uh, and, and De La Mela, Lamea, meanwhile, was you know fantastic for the Revolution when he first came here, and, and you know played some phenomenal games in which he's looked like one of the you know better defenders the Revolution have had. Um, are, are you both surprised to see him have fallen out of favor so much, where where Andy Baba just consistently gets these starts? Um, and do you think Andy Baba's played well enough to to earn that? I think at this juncture, I think Andy Baba's kind of earned his spot. I don't know if if his spot is as secure, um, obviously not as secure as Diallo's, but. Um, I think his spot is secure for the time being. I am, like you guys, I am kind of surprised that he's kind of got the nod over Dale Mayo because, you know, we saw Dale Mayo have some pretty impressive games last year. And you do wonder, you know, what kind of happened to cause his, his stock to fall. Um, you know, granted, we did see, you know, the red card obviously in Philly, and we did see a couple of pointless red cards last year. Um, but really, is that is that enough to warrant a guy who you're spending, you're investing a lot in to lose his spot. And I guess, you know, the time being is something Greg alluded to. You just, you really not, you really don't know what you're going to get when uh, Brad Friedel, you know, fills out his lineup. But um, at this juncture, it looks like Andy Baba really hasn't hurt his case, really hasn't hurt his case to be taken out of the 11. Um, You know, but that could, (laughs) that could change on Friday. Um, It could change two weeks from now. So, um, you know, I'm a little surprised, but, you know, as, you know, they could have played better last night, uh, to Greg's point, but, um, you know, bottom line is the, the, the job got done and, you know, the Revs got, got a victory out of it. Yeah, I agree with Brian, too. I, I don't think Anibaba has done anything that is um, I can point to and say he doesn't belong in the starting lineup. Um, if De La Mea was not on this team, I, I think we would be fine with him as the center back. Um, or as a center back, I should say, maybe not as the solution, because as I say, uh, the defense still had some holes in it. And I think a a team with uh, a better set of forwards could maybe come away with a a tie in that game yesterday. But um, considering the season De La Mea had last year, I'm very surprised that he isn't uh, given a start back in the lineup uh, against the Dynamo or against uh, New York City. Uh, I'm surprised he's kind of fallen to third on the depth chart. 
Uh, I'm not sure if it is the Philadelphia red card. He did get the start on opening night, and I don't know. Maybe it's a discipline thing, um, and just Anibaba hasn't has deserved the spot, and he's earned it. And maybe it's just Delamay has got to wait until another start comes up when someone's unavailable. But um, yeah, I, I'm very stunned that he's not seeing the lineup uh, consistently. And one other point where we're talking about the center back pairings is going back to a, a point that Brian made as one of his takeaways several weeks ago in that game where Chris Tierney scored that, that free kick winner is something that I don't think we'd really seen before, at least I don't recall seeing much of before, was Claude, Claude Yelma took you know, a very dangerous free kick late in this game. Um, and as Brian had talked about earlier, with, with Chris Tierney on the field, we don't know who that free kick guy is going to be. It looked like you know, probably Fagundes. Um, you know, when Kellen Rowe's off the field, you know, Kellen Rowe, when he's there, can, can sometimes take him. Uh, but in this game, we saw Diama take one, which he, you know, denied only by the crossbar and a fantastic play. Uh, Brian, you think we're going to see more of, of Diama getting forward to take these free kicks this season? I think so, and I think he enjoys it. I think he's the kind of player, you know, I think um, uh, I think during the game there was there was a comment made um, saying that, you know, they had practiced it, uh, that Diama that, that had practiced that shot in training all week, so... Um, I think he enjoys it, and I think he's certainly uh, made a case to uh, to take more of those more of those uh, free kicks, you know, from you know the 25 to 30 30 uh, yard range. So I think uh, I think I think we'll probably we'll probably see more of it, you know, probably see more of it, you know, um, in those kinds of situations going forward. Yeah, you got to hope too. I mean, that was about as good a free kick as you could ask for. So I'm sure the Helena is going to be a uh, a free kick specialist from that range in the future. Uh, I feel a left sh- left footed free kick. Uh, I'd imagine he's going to get the next few. That was a great shot, and it's a shame that hit the bar. Yeah, that, that was that was a phenomenal effort from Dielma. I I don't think any of us necessarily knew he was capable <laughs> capable of that. Um, and I'm surprised we haven't seen more of him. You know, b- based on that one, and, and based on the the lack of success we've seen from. Uh, a lot of other players not named Chris Tierney in that spot. So that, that you know, a, a positive sign for a Revolution team that did, did need somebody to step up um, on the set pieces, in particular the, the free kicks from shooting range. Uh, so that was, that was exciting to see. Um, and, you know, c- continuing to, to talk about free kicks, uh, one of the guys that we, you know, we mentioned earlier that was not in the field, and this gets to one of our listeners' questions that I wanted to jump into, um, any Revs UK who has his own podcast um, he was asking, how and when does Lee Wynn make the 11? Um, and Lee Wynn wasn't in the 11 or the 18 this game. Another guy that wasn't in the 11 or 18 this game was, was Christian Namath. And you know, he was coming off a, some you know, great performance for Hungary when she scored a goal, a fantastic goal. Um, you know, so maybe there was you know, some question about fitness, although he'd only played as a sub in those games. So you'd think he'd be you know, in decent shape, uh, unless it was the traveling. But neither of those guys were in the 18 this week. Let, let's start with Lee Wynn and answer the question. You know, when and, and <laughs> when will we see Lee win the season, uh, and and how what, what does he need to do to actually make the eleven? Well, I'll say when when does he come back? My answer is never. Um, what does he have to do to get back to the eleven? Cure cancer. I really think that it's going to take a crazy a crazy circumstance for him to get back into the eleven, uh, back onto the eighteen. Never mind the uh, back into the eleven. Never mind the eighteen. Um, just based on the fact based on what we saw last night, um, it seems like a lot of guys. Um, like Pania, like Casado, um, and now you're kind of seeing, um, you know, Fagunis, his game gets raised with those guys in the field. Um, it's just really going to take a lot for Lee Wynn to get back into this, get back onto the field, just based upon the performance of performances of everyone else that's uh, that's that's currently in the midfield right now. Because no one, no one at this juncture, in my opinion, um, you know, based upon the midfield we saw last night, 
has done anything that's warranted, uh, you know, their uh, them getting dropped from the eleven. Um, you know, we saw a, a player even like Callum Rowe, who a lot of us thought was going to be a surefire starter in this in this lineup. You know, didn't even make the lineup last night. So, um, yeah, I, it's going to be a really. It's going to take a lot of, in my opinion, I think it's going to take a. It's going to take injuries. Um, at least, uh, you know, it's going to take injuries or suspension for for Lee to get back into the lineup, in my opinion. Yeah, and Brian, I'm going to have to disagree with you. If Lee wins curing cancer, he's not spending his time at practice because that's going to take a lot of his time. And I don't think Brad Friedel is going to really appreciate him skipping practice. So I don't think curing cancer will get him back. <laughs> in the but I will say that I think the answer to this question is injury. Um, I, I don't know where he fits on this team. And I could make the point that Leewin might not be one of the most talented midfielders on this team anymore, as crazy as that sounds. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, it is crazy to say that. And, and I know there's a, a lot of people that say trade him, don't sit him either, either play him or trade him. But at this point, I, I don't know why you would play him. Uh, originally too, the first few weeks you could say, well, he was holding out a preseason, but, um, you know, that was three weeks. I think he missed three weeks total. So, I mean, we're a month into the season. He's had over a month of training with this team. I, I think he's not in this team's first in the starting lineup, uh, I don't think he's in their plans at all. Um, so I, I think they're just more or less running through the motions and waiting for someone, a, a team, to get desperate and make a phone call and offer them what they want for Lee Win. I think that's the the answer. I, I cannot imagine Lee Win ever appearing for the Revs uh, again, unless it's like a U.S. Open Cup game or something like that. Yeah, I think last night's last night's team sheet was essentially. Uh, a surefire sign that that Friedel's moved on from Lee Wen. Right. Um, a tough road game. I mean, a game that that on the paper looks like it was going to be tough uh, against a team that really didn't, you know, was very similar to the Revs last year with their with their home form. I mean, basically, you know, the Houston Houston's home form got them into the playoffs. They're just slightly better than the Revs uh, on the road, and it wasn't by much. So. I mean, if you're going to bring in Lee for any kind of game, I figured last night's game would be the kind of game that at least you'd have him travel. And the fact that he didn't even travel, I think, you know, speaks volumes to the sense that, um, you know, that Friedel's moved on from when. And it's just, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about where does Kellen Rowe fit into this lineup? I mean, Kellen Rowe is above Lee Wynn. Kellen Rowe has been showing up, you know, all preseason long. Uh, and and we thought was going to be the uh, t- you know fill in for Lee Wynn, uh at the beginning of the year we thought he was going to be the person to the Revs would build their offense around and and really be a key contributor to this team and we're talking about where does he fit into the starting lineup so I mean Lee Wynn is a few steps be- below Kellen Rowe in terms of uh, seeing the field and and getting significant playing time so um, it, it, it's an astonishing fall for Lee Wynn. And I, I want to just build on the point, what point you made earlier, um, because I was thinking about, about this the other day when I saw this question come in about, you know, how and what does it take uh, for, for Lee Wynn to get back into the lineup? And Greg, you mentioned in passing the, the U.S. Open Cup game, uh, you know, U.S. Open Cup game. And I think that's actually what it would take to get him in at this point. If, if somehow Lee Wynn is still on this roster uh, at the point where the Revolution are playing in Open Cup games, I think that's his one chance to get a shot. And then he would need to have, you know, the game of his career. Uh, at this point, I, I I just think that you know the team has taken a stand where you know based on his attitude in preseason and his attitude you know holding out, uh, they're not going to give him anything, and I don't see him back in the eighteen. You know, with the exception of something 
you know, shocking happening him being on this roster come Open Cup game and, and him putting in a fantastic performance. I actually think that is what it would take uh, to get him back out there. But um, I, I don't know what else he could do to get out in the field. Now, let me ask you guys this. Who, who do you think is the – who leaves the revolution first, Namath or Wynn? I'm going to go with Wynn only for the fact <laughs> – only for the fact that Namath at least seen the field this year. Um, you know, I know there were the rumors about, you know, him, about the uh, organization wanting to move on from him, looking to looking to deal him. But I think at this juncture, I have the way I look at it is who has a better chance of seeing the field uh, this year. Um you know, after the last few games, and I know that Namath's already, you know, made already seen the field, but um, but I think at this juncture, it's definitely got to be, uh, you know, I I think that Win definitely gets moved first, absolutely. I just I just don't see there's a, I just don't see them carrying him based upon the way the midfield's played. Um, you could kind of make the argument that you that you know Namath gives you depth behind um, Agudelo and Bunbury, but um, you know, with Win, it just seems like this team's moved on. Which is really kind of crazy to to think about when you see a player of Lee Wynn's talent that a team that's kind of sort of in a rebuild mode, so to speak, um, you know, kind of has the players and tools um, and has used those players to to the point where they've gotten off to a pretty good start um, without seeing without getting a single minute from Lee Wynn. Yeah, no, I, I really agree with Brian and. You know, I'll give the benefit of the doubt for this game and say, you know, the reason Christian Namath didn't play was rest from coming back from national team duty, even though, you know, between two games, I think he played something like 75 minutes. Um, and so you'd think he'd, you know, have the fitness to go this game, at least make the 18. But, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt and saying it was that, um, as Brian was saying, I have trouble seeing where Lee Wynn, where Lee Wynn fits into Brad Friedel's style. Um, you know, whether it's the high press, I don't think he fits into to that style that Friedel was using. You know, whether it's the lineup he went with in, in Houston, I don't, I'm not sure he fits into that style either. Um, so I, I don't know that he has a place in, or a role in Friedel's lineup. Uh, so I, I would have to think he moves first if they, you know, the revolution lowered their demands for him or, or stopped being so stubborn about you know, holding out in a trade. Um, on the flip side, I think Christian Namath you know, could potentially find his way into this lineup if you know, Brad Friedel gives him a chance. I think the style of play that he has you know, could maybe complement uh, Diego Fagundes, Christian Pena as that third guy behind the striker when they're playing you know, that high press or when they're playing a more offensive lineup at home. Um, as we saw last week, Kellen Rowe uh, didn't do that great in that role against New York City FC. And you know, maybe as time goes on, I'll figure it out. But you know, it seems like a role that Namath could play. Uh, so, you know, in theory, I can see a spot for Namath on this team and, uh, you know, even an opening for him to potentially make the starting lineup at some point. Uh, I'm just not seeing that for, for Lee Wynn, even if Lee Wynn was to get back in favor. Uh, it, it seems like Brad Friedel's style doesn't necessarily suit him. So to me, it makes more sense to, to move on from him and, and find a way for him to, to be traded. And, you know, from my understanding, his salary is something that's, that's more appealing to other teams as well. Um, that would make him, you know, perhaps easier to offload than a, than a guy like Namath because I think he's making something like five hundred thousand, where Namath's been reported to making you know, near near a million dollars. So um, I I agree with Brian. It's it's going to be Lee Wen. Yeah, and and originally when I I had thought of that question, um, I thought it was a lot more even, uh, just because you'd think the revolution originally they weren't taking calls on Lee Wynn. That would imply that they had a role for him at some point. I think that we've, now that we've discussed that Lee Wynn likely won't see the field again, I'd imagine that 
you know, he, he will have more appeal than Christian Nemeth. So uh, I, I'd imagine that some MLS team gets an injury and needs someone like Lee Wynn and they come calling and they make an offer that the Rebs like. So, uh, and as you say, Sean, uh, Lee Wynn doesn't make as much as Nemeth. So his market there, the revolution will get a, a much bigger um, return for Lee Wynn. So I'd imagine that Lee Wynn will be, well, that'll be unanimous across the board. Not as good of a question as I had thought, but um I'm also uh, also the scenario popped in my mind too of how incredibly hilarious it would be if the revolution just sent Lee Wynn down to like the Richmond kickers for like a weekend game or something like that. Like they sent him on loan to a USL side, uh, which they've done in the past with their reserves. Uh, I mean, Lee Wynn's kind of at that level of reserve now where uh, he's struggling to break the 18 that, you know, he might be like, you know, Charlie Davies or, uh, Zach Haravo, where he's he's playing, and you know they send him for a weekend game somewhere just to get some game experience. Um, I don't think that's a likely scenario, but uh, just thought that'd be a, a, a f- funny, unlikely possibility. You know, you know. Speaking of funny, unlikely possibilities, how awkward would it be? And I'm not wishing injury on any player ever, but if you were to see a guy like if you were to see a guy like Caicedo or even Fagunis or anyone that's currently doing well in the midfield pick up an injury, and then another guy in the midfield picks up a red card. The thought of Brad, the thought of Brad Friedel having to look at Lee Wynn and say, ah, <laughs> all right, I need you. <laughs> that, to me, I mean... You just, did cure cancer. Okay, go ahead and play. You know, you, you <laughs> cure cancer. I guess I guess I should, you know, write, write, put your name on the team sheet this week. But, um, you know, crazier things have happened in MLS. I mean, we've all seen it before. We've all seen points where, you know, we saw first week of the season where... You know, the Revs lose both their center backs due to red cards. So crazy, crazy things have happened in MLS. I mean, MLS seems to be the league where really crazy things happen. Um, so when I just I just think it would be hilarious to see a situation, whether it's next week, two weeks or three weeks from now, where, you know, the circumstances dictate that Friedel, that, that Lee Wynn is still on the team and that Friedel has to kind of give in and say, all right, I guess we have to use you at some point. I mean, you know, it's either that or... You know, you know, or you know, sign a, a you know college kid or whatever. But um, it would just be hysterical if if the circumstance if the circumstances ever dictated a point in which Friedel had his hand forced and had to play Lee Win. I just think that would be, I think that'd be all sorts of awkward, which would make it all sorts of awesome in my opinion. And maybe Brad Friedel's just that stubborn where he's like, ah, Brian Wright, you can go, you can play, mid- you can play midfield. You know, you you got that, you got those skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Femi, go on in there. I, I think that kind of brings us <laughs> on, a, on a bit of a, a, a side tangent here. It brings us to a, you know, the, the other question from any Revs UK, which was, you know, at some point should Brad Friedel start looking to include some of the academy players like, like Vang in the 18 and move on from some of the fringe guys like Femi? And I'll add to his comment, a guy like, like Brian Wright, as we're talking about here, who you know, isn't making the 18 at all at this point. Um, you know, does it make sense for the revolution to start to look at some of these younger guys uh, that are in the academy and, and give them a chance to, to be called up and, and play for this team rather than um, some of these guys like, like Wright and Femi that, you know, are getting closer to, the, to their, you know, mid-20s in which development is, is becomes more limited at that point in their career. I mean, it's tough because it's, you know, you do have Vang and you do have, obviously, you have Isaac Anking and we kind of don't know what exactly his situation is right now. Um, but I feel like at this juncture, it's still... You don't you don't really need that right now. I think you know it's still early. I mean, granted, it's still early in the season, you, and what you're getting from the midfield is probably, you know, more than what a lot of people expected at this juncture. Um, so I don't know if 
you know, now is really the time where you start to say, hmm, maybe we should bring in some acad- maybe we should start thinking about bringing some academy players because I think their overall track record on academy players has been, to put it best, mixed. I mean, you kind of hit a home run with Fagundes. You did pretty well with uh, with Scott Caldwell. You kind of don't really know what you've got with with uh, Zach Aravo. Um, and we really don't know what we've got with uh, with with Isaac Anking. Um, you know, he's a guy that I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot of good things about, even when he was with the U14s and U15s. So, um, I don't really feel like there's really kind of any need to bring in anybody else at this point. Um, short term, no, but long term, yeah. I think the I think the Revs do need to take uh, take a better look at their academy. And you know, if they're not getting the kind of players that you know, teams like, you know, Dallas are getting or even teams like, you know, Philadelphia are getting uh, players that those guys that those teams are bringing in through their academy. Then, yeah, maybe you look at it a little more, a little more harder and you see what maybe you can do to to kind of, you know, open up the pipeline a little more. But I think right now at this point in the season, there's really no need for them to bring in academy players, um, you know, just given given the more, more recent track record of, of how the refs have been have been doing that so far. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's not a bad idea, but I think it would be really beneficial if the Revs were in that rebuild that we kind of expected them to be in. Um, right now, you know, the Revs are in fourth place, and the only team, Atlanta is, is very good, and New York City is very good, but the crew are in front of them, and, and I, I'm not totally sold on the Columbus crew just yet. Um, so, I mean, the revolution at this point, our, playoffs is not an unrealistic expectation at this point in the season. I know there's a lot of soccer to be played, but... Um, you're not sure with what you're going to get with the Academy kids. And I'm sure they'll, you know, as time will go on, I'm sure we'll see them in U S open cup and whatnot. But right now things are working for the revolution. So uh, I'd stick with the guys they've been uh, playing in their rotation and ride it out and see if the revolution are actually a contender this year, to be, to be honest with you, as crazy as that sounds, um, you know, the revolution right now look like a playoff team. Yeah, no, I think you make a great point that this, you know, right now, it's it's far too soon to say this is a team in, in rebuild mode. Even though we, a lot of us thought that's what it was going to be going into the season, um, you know, after the start that they've had. The, the one other question, though, I wanted to bring up in regards to the academy. Um, when you talk about calling up players, uh, you look at the recent results of the academy, and, and Jonathan Siegel from New England Soccer Journal pointed this out that uh, the Revs team finished eleven. The Revs U17 team finished up eleven Generation Adidas Cup matches with a 0 and 11 record and a negative 37 goal differential. Uh, which is by far the worst of, of all the MLS academies. Uh, you know, results obviously are not the main goal of the MLS academies, but it, it's hard to look at that and, and think that this academy is doing a great job and there's a lot of talent there to, to pull up to the first team. Am I wrong to be you know, troubled by, by seeing these results? Meh. I mean, yes, it, it, it's not good. You know, it's certainly not a good thing. But, uh, you know, when I saw that those results, I, this is probably not going to be something that people can relate to. But as you know, Sean, I play football manager. Uh, and it's like when you're if, if you ever look at where your reserves team is doing in their reserve league and they're at the bottom of the standings, I, I'm not very concerned about it. You know, I, I it's really just for experience and whatnot. So, I mean, losing all 11 games and that goal differential is certainly horrifying, but I, I'm not totally shell-shocked because it's so far away from the revolution senior team that um you know they, they do need to improve the academy don't get me wrong but uh it's not something that i think is i'm not horrified of the the future of the new england revolution i'll put it that way same i just you know i always don't i mean just from my own point of view i always don't 
I, I look at tournament results as kind of like I don't know. It's kind of like a not a not an accurate gauge of how of how good a of you know kind of talent that the revs that that a team has. You know, I'd rather see you know an MLS team foster. You know, you want to see them foster talent, but you want to see them actually produce players that are actually capable of of contributing to the first team. And I always feel like you know a team that always kind of like comes to mind that you know at the academy level always kind of like knocked it out of the park was was the Union. They I remember three or four years ago they were like one of the best one of the best setups and they were winning you know tournaments left and right. And you know that was four years ago. You know how many of those academy players are helping them you know right now and like what kind of shape is are the are the union right now in what are they how much are they getting from those players I should say so um, I always look at those as kind of like misleading I think I think it's great to have you know it's something that you, it's kind of like a feather in the cap of the of the academy director um, but to me the real the real sign is what do you what are the players that you're developing in the academy system doing at the first team doing with the first team you know years later and um, you know I don't. I don't really. I, I wouldn't worry too too much. Um, I look more at you know the the res most recent recent track record of bringing in guys like Aravogue, bringing in guys like Ann King, and seeing what you're going to get from those guys in the next two to three years to get give you a better better gauge as to what the state of the academy is at this point. Yeah, and I, I agree with Brian. I think actually Philadelphia is is playing some guys from their academy, but it's not really reflecting in the standings page because the MLS has grown and and the way to acquire players it's certainly advanced from four years ago where, you know, a strong academy there might have been more emphasis on that four years ago as compared to now. So um, I'm not sure a good academy leads to good results. And and Philadelphia Union is a, a perfect example of that. I'm not, I think we talked about them in the early part of the season after their game. They're not exactly a team that scares, you know, terrifies anyone. So. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in when you're talking about Philadelphia and the, and the other team to look at there, that's always been looked at as a team that's had a great academy is, is FC Dallas. And I think we've actually been seeing them play you know, less of their academy this season uh, than we have in the past. Um, and, and they haven't actually been as good this year as I think some people have expected them to be. Uh, so, you know, they're another team whose academy hasn't been as good. Uh, you know, I will say that, that long term, I think teams do need to have a strong academy to be competitive, especially teams that spend less, which, I, you know, I would include in the revolution, I'd include Philadelphia in that, cat, in that category. Um, teams that don't spend as much certainly need to be able to produce some talent from their academy. Um, and perhaps just neither of those teams has produced quite enough. Uh, but you know, you know I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement to, to, to a certain extent that um, there's very few teams that are able to do enough with their academy to avoid having to you know bring in players other ways to improve their teams. Um, but it, you know, to me, I am I am concerned with with these results from the Revolution Academy, which haven't been great le- lately, and just simply the fact that. Um, in all the years of Revs Academy, they produced Diego Fagundes, a fantastic player for this team. Uh, Scott Caldwell, who's been a really great player for this team. Um, and other than that, they've just signed Haravu and, and Ann King. And I think Haravu, by now, you would have expected to have contributed more to this team, and he hasn't. Um, and Ann King, certainly, the jury is still out. So, you know, at some point, the Revolution Academy does need to produce more results. Um, but I'm, I'm going to jump back to Greg here. And I know uh, we wanted to a few weeks ago when we had some more time jump into some over-under questions. And I think this week, given the, the lack of news outside of the Revs game, uh, it's a good time to, to jump into some of those questions. So, Greg, take it away. Yeah, so we, ha- we have some time. So I got some over-unders just for some general discussion. Uh, first over-under, this was actually a, an, a, a legitimate over-under we found uh, on the newest MLS acquisition, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Over under 21 and a half goals scored in MLS this season. 
I'm gonna say over, and I would still say over if it were if it were thirty and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got so to, for background here. Uh, every few weeks, I get odds sent to me um, from Bavada, and I usually just you know quickly brush through them. Um, you know, th- as as content for potentially for the podcast, I quickly brush through them, and, and this time I see you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic twenty one and a half goals, and I, I I sent this on to Greg, and you know for me. 21 and a half goals for a guy that's 36 years old, that's joining a team late, you know, coming off of an injury. I thought it seemed crazy. There's, there's no way he's going to do that. It seems like an easy under. But, but, but then here I am watching this game uh, on Saturday afternoon. Galaxy down 3-2 uh, to two at this point. He comes off the bench, scores a fantastic goal from something like 40 yards. Uh, just phenomenal stuff. The 91st minute stoppage time scores an incredible header to win the game. And suddenly that 21 and a half seems a little bit low to me. I, I, I actually agree with Brian. And, you know, with the big caveat here is there's still the health question. If he can stay healthy for you know the rest of the season and play in the majority of the Galaxy's game, I, I think he can actually go over that 21 and a half. Yeah, and I think I replied to your email and I was like, uh, the under there is free money. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, my, my opinion changed very quickly. I think that was his first touch, right? That goal that from midfield was that his first actual touch, if I remember correctly. I, I, I think it may have been. I know he totaled 11 touches and two of them were goals. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, originally I felt under because there have been so many acquisitions from the MLS that have come into the MLS and they haven't let, they haven't fully lived up to expectations. Uh, I think of like um, Jermaine Defoe and Dieter Drogba, like just because a forward is coming over to MLS after their prime years in Europe have ended uh, doesn't necessarily lead to amazing results in the MLS, but um, it certainly seems like he's going to create a lot of chances for the galaxy. And it seems like they're going to uh, completely run that offense through him. So uh, I'm still going to take the under I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you guys on this one, but I think he gets really close. I I'm going to peg him at 20 goals this year. Yeah. To be honest, when I first saw this, my thought was, you know, 15 goals would be, you know, about what I would expect him to have this year, but just the skill that he showed in this game, and we've seen it all throughout his career, but the question marks certainly remain uh, after the injury is what he was going to be like when he, when he came out this year, because he hadn't played that much at Manchester United this season coming off those injuries. Um, and just to see that he's still got that level of play right there, uh, it, 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 was, it was something else watching that game. And, and it's, it's funny now seeing everyone asking whether that was the best game uh, at MLS ever because of his performance and because of, of, of what happened there. Um, I don't know. I, I, again, I thought 15 would be realistic before that game. Now maybe I'm jumping into the hype too much, but the, the way he played in that game was just something else. Yeah, and looking at that game and watching watching that game, guys, I guess one thing I guess I would ask you ask you both is, you know, given the recent history of, you know, players of, of his ilk kind of shying away from playing at Gillette, do you, do you think he'll, he'll come to the rep? Come to Gillette when the Galaxy come here in uh, in July. It's a good question. Uh, I'm gonna say no. Or do you mean he might travel with the team? Might, but you yeah, play, I, right? play, I should say. I guess I should rephrase it. Do you guys think he'll actually play that game? I could see him saying he doesn't want to play on turf. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say he doesn't make an appearance at Foxborough. Yeah, this is a this is a really tough one for me because there's you know there are several teams in MLS now that have turf and I, I believe the same turf as the Rebs in many cases. You know, Seattle, Atlanta, uh, I believe Portland, Vancouver. There's just there's so many teams now that are playing on turf. 
Um, I, I'm very interested to see how you know, it's quite possible that he doesn't play in any of those stadiums, but I, I'm very curious to see how he does handle that. Um, you know, you talk about a guy like Kyrian Reed that avoided playing on turf at all costs except for playoffs. Um, you know, Zlatan's a, a very different beast, and I could see him going, you know, one of two ways. Uh, he's not been someone to, to shy away from challenges, and I, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult question. Um, I'll be very disappointed if he doesn't play, um, but I, I'm kind of 50-50 on this one on whether or not he does play, and it's, it, it'll be quite disappointing to all of New England if, if we don't get to see Zlatan Ibrahimovic on July 14th. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to some more Revs over-unders, uh, and this one's uh, uh, an interesting one. Uh, Diego Fagundes, 16 combined goals and assists. And for reference, last season he had seven goals and seven assists. So that's 14. In his career year back in 2013, he had 13 goals and five assists. So that's 18. So I'm kind of splitting the baby here and setting the line at 16. What do you guys think? Well, and I'll point out too that he's got two goals so far this year. Um, you know, I think I think I'll take the over on this one. And a lot of that's because of the reliance that Brad Friedel has put on him as kind of being the center focal point of this attack. Uh, Pania certainly takes off some of the pressure from him with with his ability to create. But you know, if he's going to be playing in the center and, and uh, playing that role and combining off of Pania for for most of these games, and, and last week was a bit different of a lineup. But um, you know, I, he, with with his capabilities and the way that he's been playing, uh, you know, a lot of games this season, I'm going to go with the over. I'm I'm going to go with the under only for the fact that you know. I think we've seen, aside, aside from the 2013 season, I think we've seen all these instances where Diego Fagundes gets gets hot and then he kind of disappears, gets hot, disappears. Um, so I think he still lacks the ability to put together like a full season. Um, you know, aside from that 2013, that 2013, I think all the conditions were right in that year for him. I just think that everything that could have gone right went right for him. And even that year, he got off to a fairly slow start. Um, so I think that I have to see a little bit more from him this year before I kind of say that, yeah, he's capable of, of you know, getting a combined uh, 16 goals and assists. So I'm just going to err on the side of caution and say just based upon what we've seen the last few years with him, you know, getting hot, getting cold, I'm going to go with the under. I'm going to agree with Sean. I think that uh, – we haven't even talked about Teal Bunbury yet, actually, now that I think about it. But I think Teal Bunbury is going to be your starter going forward. It seems like uh, uh, Brad Friedel really likes him up top. And I think because of that, I think Fagundes is going to be the number one option that uh, Panilla is going to look for. I think Bunbury is sure going to get his fair number of looks, but I think Fagundes is going to be a, a weapon that uh, they're going to look to go through, and, and Panilla is going to try to feed throughout the season. So uh, I got Fagundes down for a dozen goals. Uh, it's more or less whether or not he got five assi- he can get five assists for me and I think he'll easily do that so uh, I'm taking the- I'm taking well over I think he's gonna get 18 19 uh, like we saw in 2013 I'm big on Fagundes this year um, one more guys yeah, I think that time for one more all right uh, who has more starts at right back this season Brandon by or Andrew Farrell I'm gonna go with Brandon by and this is the reason why I say that because I feel like I just get the sense that the way that this offense is going, um, while they're getting a lot of production already from their midfield, I still think Brad Friedel still wants to get more from his outside backs. And I think the onus is really on Farrell more than Somi to really become the kind of fullback that he was projected, that the, the kind of right back he was going to be coming out of college. So I think that there might be a shorter leash on Farrell than we think. Than what it looks like right now, just because he is 
you know, he is getting, you know, the starts at right back, but I think it won't be long before we see Brandon by Brandon by get more time. And I could see, a, I could very well see a scenario in which, you know, either Farrell gets hurt or he loses enough form to the point where, you know, Friedel says, you know what, I need more for my, I need more for my uh, fullbacks. And, you know, Brandon by is obviously a very intriguing prospect at, at right back. So I could very much see uh, Brandon by taking over that role by midseason. Yeah, this is another one that I'm, you know, not 100% confident in my answer on. I'm going to stick with Andrew Farrell, but I also do agree with Brian that uh, I, I think Friedel is going to want more offensively out of his right backs than, you know, you get from Andrew Farrell. And I still don't think, you know, there's been flashes of it, but I still don't think the improvement's been enough there from Andrew Farrell. Um, however, I'm still not sure that Brandon Bay uh, is going to reach the level defensively that, that Brad Friedel demands out of these guys. And, and Farrell, the one thing I will say for him is, he, you know, he's in fantastic shape. I think he came out of this preseason, you know, in better shape than he has before. Um, always been a fast guy, and that's something that's, you know, pretty key to, to Brad Friedel's high press, where um, even if it gets to the point where the Revolution are in a position where they're the favorite and they want to play a more attacking lineup, and maybe we'll see Brandon by there. I think Farrell, there's going to be a number of opportunities when the Revolution, you know, are the underdogs, and, and Brad Friedel wants to have his strong, quick right back that is maybe limited offensively, um, and more often than not, that'll be what he goes with. But I, I do think there's going to be a, a contest throughout the season between these two, um, because you know I agree with Brian that, that Farrell's offense just isn't enough for, for what Brad Friedel wants. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with Sean here and lean Andrew Farrell, but I'm that's this is the shakiest of the three questions to me. Uh, I think if the revolution kind of fall on the standings and um, they kind of fall back into that rebuild mode, I could see Brandon By getting the start for experience. Um, but I, I think for I think Farrell will get the bulk of starts at the beginning of the year, and I think that uh, going into a game like next week too, it'll be interesting to see if By starts over Farrell because that is a game where. Um, the the revs are probably favored so i think if farrell gets the start next week he should be able to see it out throughout the rest of the season so um i'm gonna go with andrew farrell but that that is a 50 51 and uh before i know i said one more but it, it kind of dawned on me too that this is kind of a more relevant question but uh since teal bunbury has started three games over juan agadello who gets more starts at striker bunbury or agadello yeah that's another really tough one for me um, you know, again, going into the season, I'd have to go with Juan Aguadello. Uh, but for me, you have two guys between Aguadello and Bunbury that are just far too inconsistent. Uh, and that's where my, my problem comes in here. At his best, I think Juan Aguadello is the, the better pure striker um, and the better goal scorer. But we just don't see him at his best enough when we haven't in, in, in several seasons. Uh, you know, Bunbury is a guy that's had, and I talked about this before, had a lot of success as that lone striker or that center striker in a 4-3-3 for, for Sporting Kansas City. Um, and I didn't think he looked that great the first few games of the season. I thought he looked better lately. Uh, certainly getting that, that goal helped. Uh, and Aguadello, you know, the week last week scored that, that, that goal as a substitute. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be really 50-50 and, and, and a lot of split starts between these two guys depending on the situation and depending on who they're playing. I think, you know, Brad Friedel... Um, unless one of these guys gets hot, and you know, I don't know that one of them will. Uh, Brad Friedel will, you know, if they're playing a high press situation where they need a lot of running, play Bunbury, and if they're playing, you know, more of a, a counterattacking style or something where they're going to be, you know, pinging long balls forward to to have somebody win up in the air, they might go with Aguadello. Um, I, I think I'm going to lean Bunbury here, but just very, very slightly, and I expect it to be, you know, back and forth throughout the season on these two. Yeah, I think it's pretty much this. I, I kind of feel the same way, Sean. I really think it's it's Bunbury by a nose. I just think that 
based upon what we've seen so far from Fatal this year, you really nobody's nobody's job is really safe, and uh, and I think in light of that, we we really don't know what kind of what we're gonna get from Bunbury for the next two weeks. I mean, it could very well. I think we could all very much see a scenario where Bunbury goes cold, and you know, next man up is is Juan Agudelo. So, um, but if everyone stays healthy and everyone you know stays in fairly consistent form, barring any kind of cold streaks. Um, I think that this is the that uh, Friedel's offense is the kind that lends that that requires a player more like Monbury than Agudelo um, if he's going to stick with the high press um, and even if they go a little more counterattacking like they did yesterday in, in Houston I still think that I still think that Monbury is the better option just based upon how how he interacts and how he combines with the likes of Pinilla, uh Casado and and and, uh, and Diego because. I just think that uh, Agadell is more of the kind of player that you kind of put in there when they're kind of like you know relying more on the long balls, and I and he's admitted it as much in uh, in the past where he loves he loves that long ball, and you saw even when he came to the game yesterday, it was Diama kind of hoofing up a, a few long balls in Agadell's direction. I think he seemed to enjoy that, um, but that's not really the Rev style this much. I mean this year at all. Um, I think we saw more from we saw more of it in the last couple of years under under heaps, but um, you know especially when they were down numbers, uh, especially when they were um, down by in, down down numbers due to injuries and suspensions. Um, but I think that if if Friedel has his way and everything stays the way that he wants it to stay, I think that this is very much a system that that favors uh, Bunbury over Agudelo at top. Yeah, and I agree with Brian. I think that. Bunbury has kind of uh, earned his spot in Brad Friedel's mind and kind of sits Brad sits in Brad Friedel's system uh, better than Agadello. Uh, I think Agadello is going to be the guy, the super sub type player that comes on. Uh, I was pretty surprised he came on so early last night. I think that was kind of a scheduled uh, substitution where uh, they were going to give Agadello 30 to 35 minutes uh, and, and, Oh, I think he got 45 minutes. So, um, but I, I think Agadello is going to be the guy coming off of the bench, whereas Bunbury is going to be the guy making the starts, um, which I would have him flip flop. But uh, I mean, Bunbury played great last night, uh, and I, I think earned his uh, earned good praise yesterday. He got rewarded with a goal and and had a nice pass to uh, Pania or uh, Conseto on the uh, uh, fast break that led to the goal. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Bunbury also. Yeah, and I'll, I'll jump into the the final the game next week to conclude this one. Uh, the Revolution are going to be going up against Montreal Impact on Friday, another home game. Uh, a weird weird weekday Friday game. I'm not really sure why it's on a Friday, but um, this will be an interesting one for the Revolution because Montreal, uh, again, I don't think any of us are too high on this season, but they are coming off two straight victories, um, albeit the last one aided greatly, just like the Revolution's one was, by a red card to Seattle. Um, and their two victories have been against a Seattle team that was in the Cup Final last year and a Toronto team that was in the Cup Final last year. Um, and those two followed two away losses to Columbus and Vancouver, both of those just by a goal. Um, so this has been a Montreal team that's been able to hold some really good teams tight, come away with victories against a Seattle and a, and a Toronto. And that, that was a Seattle road win. So you know, even factoring in the red card, getting a win in Seattle is, is never easy. And that's extremely impressive. Uh, what do you guys see? How do you guys see this game playing out on Friday uh, with Montreal coming to Gillette? And, and what's your score prediction for this one? Uh, well, I'm not totally sure on Montreal. You mentioned they, they have two straight wins. Uh, I will say that they benefited from uh, TFC's uh, CONCACAF Champions League schedule. I think TFC had some substitutions uh, or, or some rotation that week, and, and so they weren't at full strength. And then the other thing, too, with Seattle is that uh, they had a red card in the first half. Uh, so, 
that that certainly changed the uh, perspective of the game, similar to how the the Houston New England game was uh, changed from that red card. Also, so um, I'm not totally sold on Montreal. I think this is a, a, a game the Revolution are going to play uh, for three points. Um, I think they come out attacking. Uh, I'm still not sold on the defense. I think they allow a couple slip-ups. Uh, it's just a matter of if the impact can convert their chances. Uh, I'm going to say revolution. I, I'll go with it. I'll go pessimistic. I'll go two, two draw. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm, I really don't know what to make of this uh, impact squad because you're right. Like you guys had mentioned, you know, two impressive victories against TFC and against uh, Seattle, you know, like we saw yesterday, they were like the revs. They were also aided by a, uh, by a red card that allowed them to kind of see out the victory. But um, you know, if I have to think about it, you know, I would probably say two-two. I think we're going to see two. Right. We're going to say two-two, where um, you see the revs. I, I feel like it's going to be not a similar, a similar game, not in so much in style as the one as New York City FC, but in the way that you know, I could see the revs jumping out to an early lead with using the high press. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how long they can maintain. I still don't think they're at the point where they can pull off the high press and see out a game for ninety minutes. Um, I think I still think that they're working towards that. They're still working on that, um, and I think that uh, this is the kind of game where, especially if you have a guy like uh, like Piotti who's lurking in that, who's lurking against, um, you know, in in the air of that of that uh, back four, like we mentioned earlier in the show. Um, you just really, he seems like a guy who, if anyone's going to take advantage of the way that the Revs' defense has been playing this year, it's going to be him. So um, I, I think it's going to be two two teams that's that are going to get a couple goals. And, um, yeah, so I stand by my, uh, so I'll say definitely 2-2. Two, two. You can't steal predictions, Brian. <laughs> Sorry about that. Come on, get your own shtick. <laughs> you know, what, what I will say is Brian bringing up Piotti is a great point. That's going to be a key to this game as a revolution's ability to shut down uh, a guy like him because they haven't really seen um, somebody of his caliber in that position yet this season. Uh, and a lot of that pressure, I think, is going to fall on a guy like Zahibo to, to be really proactive and in, in, in stepping up and getting the ball from him. Um, and, you know, the concern here is potentially seeing a guy like Zahibo lunge in for a challenge because Piotti draws that type of thing and, and getting a red card. So that that's something that um, you got to watch out for in this one. And, and Vargas, the Chilean striker, the 20-year-olds that they brought in this season, already has a couple goals and has you know, benefited from having Piotti play with him. Uh, so they, they do have a dangerous attack. With, with that said... Um, you know, despite the the two straight shutouts from this team, I haven't been that overall impressed with with their defense uh, from Montreal. And you know, we talked about the Revolution and the chances that Houston had while uh, they were down a man. Seattle had a, you know a lot of chances against Montreal as well. And this was also the Seattle team I should mention that was missing Clint Dempsey due to suspension, so they weren't at full strength even before the red card. Um, there are weaknesses in this Montreal defense, and I think the Revolution are capable of exploiting it. I think if they do do that high pressure style, that will cause Montreal. Uh, a lot of problems. Montreal, you know, is a team that I think likes to maintain possession, as you saw in their the early games. They weren't able to do it against a team like Toronto, um, and I'm not sure how we'll approach a game going into Gillette. Maybe maybe their style will be a bit more counterattacking. Um, but I'm going to be a bit more positive on the Revolution's chances in this one and say they come away with a, a 2-1 victory. Um, and and Greg's favorite goalkeeper, Matt Turner, comes up with a couple of big saves to to keep the Revolution in the lead this this time and and come away with it. That goes without saying. We don't need it. We that goes without saying, Sean. Well, and we should give him credit for getting his first career shutout this week. I, we I was going to throw that in at the end, but I, yeah, <laughs> we, I, I, we didn't get the chance to go into to the Matt Turner love today, but uh, yeah, first career shutout for Matt, first of many. 
first of roughly 15 this season. So yeah, very exciting. I, I will take the, uh, the under on that one. <laughs> but, but again, the uh, Revolution's next game, uh, home against the Montreal Impact on Friday night. I believe this one is on, uh, let me confirm, yes, on TV38 again. Um, so check out that game. Again, not sure why it's a Friday game. We'll see what that does for the attendance. My guess is it does not help things. Uh, but we'll be back next weekend to discuss the Revolution's game against Montreal and, and how that one turned out. Thanks again for, for joining us today, both Brian and Greg. Uh, Wait, Sean, I got a shout-out. Oh, let's, let's hear it. I, I just want I just noticed this because I have the Seattle-Montreal uh, box score open, but I just want to say uh, MLS debuted last week for Jordan McCrary. Very interesting. The ex-Revolution so, player who good also... For him. Yeah, the, I mean, we, we talked about it before about how he's making uh, appearances in the Champions League. Um and again, I wasn't extremely impressed with him of those, but uh, it is always interesting to see a guy like McCrary that the Revolution drafted so highly um, that then went to Toronto and, and you know was playing for their second team and got cut from that. Um, somehow find a way to a, a very talented Seattle team and get his way on the, on the field. So good good shout out there, and always always curious yep. to see where the X Rose players end up. Eighty six percent pass accuracy. So. Not not bad for being down a man. No nope. <laughs> future MLS All Star Jordan McCrary. All right, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves on this one. <laughs> it's too bad he, Matt Turner wasn't drafted because I think they were signed the same year. So, yeah, and at some point we'll analyze the Revs draft class and the lack of success there recently. <laughs> but <laughs> but we'll save that one for another show. Uh, join us again next week. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>